Colossians chapter number 3, and I'm going to go ahead and give away the ghost tonight. The, the main idea is this, the, uh, the new man is living in the old man's space, and God expects Jesus to show up. Um, if you're anything like me, you know, you, you, you came to the Lord Jesus, and your physical appearance didn't change a whole lot, and you still had the same job, and uh, you still had the same family, uh, you still had the same friends, you still had the same neighbors, except now you're a new person, and, uh, and they, they knew that old guy, they knew that old guy, and uh, Jesus wants to show up in all the old places where that old guy was, but uh, he wants to show up uh, increasingly, and uh, for the old man to show up decreasingly. Uh, maybe, maybe, um, maybe John the Baptist said it best, right? I must become less and he must become more. And uh, that's God's goal. Um, and if you're anything like me, you struggle with that. You struggle with that. Um, some, some spaces more than others. Uh, I seem to let the old man drive my van more um, than the new man. Um, there are particular situations. Uh, um, I've always struggled with, with uh, laziness, uh, w w you know, lazy people. I've struggled to, to, to deal with the excuses of people who are lazy. And, the, and so that old man tends to want to be the first line of dealing with those people rather than a new man. So sometimes uh, uh, when I've supervised people, um, uh, uh, they've got the old guy. <laughs> and I particularly struggled with that right away in my work in the construction world because that old guy knew how to, uh, he knew how to, you know, sort of like a cowboy, he knew how to lasso those doggies and bring them into the, into the fold, but that new guy who was supposed to be treating people radically different, he struggled to find a, a conversation that was godly and helpful in the workplace. So I, I've struggled with it, but this is God's goal. And nowhere is it more desirable, more necessary, and more imminent, and more immediate than in the family, than in the family. And nobody gets off the hook. Nobody. And so today, I think we're going to hear some things that have the potential to leave us feeling quite condemned and laden and heavy, except to stay there is the work of Satan, to feel the condemnation, to feel the failing, to feel the weakness, to see our sin, and to stay there is the work of Satan if we only stay there. But it's the work of the Lord if we can juxtapose against all this heaviness and guilt, if we can see the hope of the Lord, the light of the gospel, and the help of the Savior. And so tonight, like, Andrew, you, you know, you're saying, I, 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 y'all singing, I've never thought of these verses in a Caribbean groove, but suddenly I, I wanted kettle drums, you know. It pleases the Lord. You know. Um, it kind of messed me up for a little bit there. I was like, I was going to come out swinging, and now I suddenly, you know, feel like I need a grass skirt. Um, I stayed carefully behind this. Um, yeah, this is heavy, but it's also really good. Because what God's going to show us is that we failed, but he's given us a very noble vision. And I am already praying that you guys leave away here with your hearts full of hope and your vision full of the calling. It's just a few verses, and again, like you were saying, Andrew, you know, you can read it pretty quick, but living it, it's like, whoa, 
Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become, say it all together, dads, say it together, discouraged. Stop. Any of you dads ever discourage your kids? Yeah, it's tough right there. Verse 22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness, open this word to us. Open the weight of it. And if we find ourselves failing, sinful, off mark, bound in iniquity in some area, and God pointed out to us and make our grief over our sin real. Help us to mourn our condition. We stand in that promise that when we mourn, we'll find relief. And then God, give us hope. Give us hope. Point us to the truth that the believer, that the, that the unbeliever uh, all have hope in Christ. And that the unbeliever nor the believer has any hope outside of Christ. Show us hope. And then God give us a noble vision. So that we don't just sit in our, in our failings. We move forward in your grace. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. Now, before, hold it right here, Mr. Button Pusher. I only have one point today. And everyone who sees the days getting longer and just thinking you're going to get out of here with sunshine. I hope you're looking at the bulletin and see that it's, it's a long point. <laughs> but I only have one point. Let's show it to him, Grant. I have one point. <laughs> Whoever you are, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, if we have new life in Christ, Christ wants to show up in and show out through our lives. Take that note down. Everything I'm about to say is about that. Everything this passage says is that exhortation. In situations where you have some control, in situations where you're completely out of control, in whatever the closest of your intimate relationships, whether it's a spouse or a parent, in whatever you're endeavoring to do with your hands, your vocation, your calling, whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, if we have new life in Christ. Now that's that condition again, right, if we have it. Christ wants to show up in our lives and show out through our lives. That's simple, right? This concluding section of Paul's letter emphasizes the practical outworkings of Christ's 
lordship. Now that's tough already, isn't it? Christ's lordship. Here, here is the American spirit in a nutshell. You're not the boss of me. Say I'm wrong. I, <laughs> she said, you're wrong. <laughs> Good girl. So I said, say I'm wrong. Have you ever thought about the entire culture of our nation was born in multiple layers of rebellion? You, ever, you just ever sit and thought about that? Most of the people that came here as, as uh, colonials were coming here because they didn't like where they were. And then they got here and they were afforded the protection of a massive navy and army so they could build a life in peace from invaders from without and build a life through war as, as invaders from within. And when we could not fathom that we had enough of a workforce, we went to a whole other continent and snatched and grabbed folks left and right and brought them here and said, do our bidding. And when the restraints, when the restraints in our American mind outweighed the benefits of having king and country to protect and serve us, we deemed our mother empire a burden and shrugged her off in war. We are a nation built in rebellion and violence and blood. We celebrate revolution and individual ruggedness like no other nation on the face of the planet. We have stuck our flag like so many straws in all of our friends' milkshake, and we have drank from every nation on the face of the planet. If this pandemic has taught me anything, we can't even put a little cloth on our face and have a few extra rules without losing our cotton-picking mind. Maybe you haven't. But, but enough people have, right? We're, we're, we're fairly triggered. So that in the American mind, the idea that we might need a savior is okay with us. <laughs> right? We, we face the wrath of God, the hell of Satan, the penalty of our sin, and we go, check please, I need a little help. And the same God who offers Christ Jesus on the cross sends Christ Jesus in the resurrection. He is the redeemer and the rescuer, but he's also mighty God, the Lord. And if we're going to wrestle through this passage and wrestle through the beautiful calling that God has given us, we have to see that from theology to praxology, Paul is saying Christ is it. That's what his theology says, Christ is it. And he's not just it, he's the best it. He's singular, preeminent. And then he turns a corner and says, now be his. Be his. One's commitment to Christ should have a direct and profound impact on all areas of one's life. And if we subtract any area of our life from the Lordship of Christ, 
we have damaged the whole of our relationship. Now you start to look at our whole cultural struggle through that lens. People want to have certain areas of their life and they'll say, I, I love God, I want God, but I don't want him Lord over this. Finances, vocation, language, taxation, gender, sexuality, ideas of success, on and on and on. Except in our culture, we're rarely satisfied with one arena. <laughs> we just want him to be Lord over our destiny of heaven. We rarely want him to be Lord in the details of our life. So this passage is heavily confrontational. Just reading it alone triggered me. I mean, I'm triggered. I'm mad. But the question is, and I feel like a little bit like Jonah, when God asked Jonah that question, do you well to be angry? Jonah, God asked him that question twice. The second time, Jonah said, yeah, I do do well to be angry. And I'm mad enough to just die. I'm just say I'm only like the part of Jonah when he didn't answer that question. <laughs> I'm just sitting over here pouting. So with all that as a heaviness, and, and you know, you can debate whether I'm accurate about the context of our history and the way it's created our culture. You can debate with me, but you can't debate this. Our culture is in a mess. Amen. You can say this is it, it didn't get to be the mess because of the reason you said, Tim. We can argue that, but it's a mess. So let's see if we can take up a noble vision and for East Rock Community Church and each one of our families and each one of us to say we can't fix all of it, but we can stand right here where God has placed us and we can be lighthouses, we can be salt, we can be ambassadors, we can be laborers in love. I might not can fix all of it, but I can stand right here and say, Jesus, use me right where I stand. I can't go back in time. I don't know where Marty and Doc left the DeLorean. I don't know where it is. But I don't have a time machine. So what can I do? I can stand here and go forward. Let's look really quickly at these key relationships that God wants to see Jesus living in. Number one, I'm going to call it this because it's heavy language, and there's no notes for this. Oh, back up, back up. That's only if I get time. Don't show them that. Shh. The responsibility of the wife. Now, whether you're reading Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, or you're looking right here at Colossians 3.18, eh, you know, you might be tempted, ladies, to say, uh, wives, um, and then to take your pencil and mark out, submit to your husbands, and just say, wives, as this fitting in the Lord. <laughs> There's a temptation. <laughs> but what it means when it says, as is fitting in the Lord, it, it's talking about her voluntary submission to her own husband. It's not to men in general. It's the outworking of the lordship of Christ in relationship to one's spouse. And the wife's motive, the wife's motive is saying, Lord Jesus, I am reporting to you. In every station of my life, I would be interested in doing what's pleasing to you. You have not granted me the gift of singleness. You have given me the blessing or the burden of marriage. So what would be fitting in my marriage according to your instructions that would bring you glory and that would show the world Jesus? That's what's fitting in the Lord. For the wife to report to Jesus and go, marching orders as a wife. 
And he's saying, be subject to your husband. The wife would say, permission to speak, sir. <laughs> he might say permission not granted. But God is generally gracious. Permission granted. <clears throat> Have you met my husband? <laughs> he stinks. <laughs> He's not godly. Or he has a testimony, but there's no power there. Are you sure you mean for me to submit to him? Are you submitted to me? Yes. Then go show him to me and me to him. You show you're submitted to me by doing it my way, whether he deserves it or not. Wow. Now, what's the other side of that? Suppose you got a great husband, but you're just a rebellious little girl. You might show up to the Lord and say, okay, what do you want? So be subject to your husband. Well, if I do that, he wants to do all kinds of things I don't want to do. At that point, you'll hear Jesus go, <laughs> do what I say. The critical question then, the critical question for a Christian wife is, are you submitted to God in Christ Jesus? Now, somebody's already thinking of the objection. Well, what if he tells me to, to sin? Don't do that. Duh. What if he tells me to do something I don't like? Is it sin? No. Do that. Why? Because it's fitting to the Lord, and you've submitted to him. So the critical question, the critical question for a Christian wife is, are you submitted to God in Christ Jesus? There was this song. I'm not recommending anybody go do that. I mean, go listen to it, but I love it. The name of the guy who sung it is just ridiculous. His name is Meatloaf. And the song is about two teenagers exploring the boundaries of teenagerness. And we're going to leave it there. And the young man has something on his mind, and the girl replies to him. This is actually beautiful. I'll do anything for love. Somebody else knows the song? Gosh, what a group of sinners. We shall rewind and have solemn assembly again next weekend. <laughs> I thought I was the only one with no meatloaf. I'll do anything for love, but... Now, practically speaking, with our words, very few of us sitting in this room would say to Jesus, I, I won't do that. But how many things do we withhold from him? How many things do we, through our praise songs, sing, I would do anything for love. And the next day, he says, be nice to your coworker, but I won't do that. You stand... I would do anything for love. And just later on that night, your husband suggests something. But I won't do that. The responsibility of the husband. Now, I see time is already flying by. I'm an irresponsible, terrible preacher. But God's going to grow me up. Y'all pray for me. If you want to see a mirroring passage on this, look at Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. But if God pulls out a 410... And aims it squarely, Sarah's the closest wife to me, you know, and aims it at Sarah and shoots her right in the face. 
he pulls out a, a 10-gauge double barrel and points it at Michael and pulls both triggers. Do you notice that in verses 19 and 21, he hits men twice. Men, love your wives. And you know how it ends up in Ephesians. Love your wives as what? Christ loved the church. Oh, so what are you going to do, get crucified for or something? Yep. Especially crucified to yourself. You probably don't need to do fill in the blank as much as you need to spend more time with her. Fish, golf, lay in your lazy boy. I mean, I don't know what your thing is. The last one is mine. <laughs> but it's that next thing. Don't be harsh with her. Um, is my wife, I cannot find my wife. Oh, you're sitting in the middle? It might actually be a revival, guys. My wife's not on the, if y'all sit on that front row, y'all better get your affairs in order. You will be hearing trumpet music, and Donnie won't even be here. It'll be, oh, care, did you not? Okay, all right, that's a whole nother. I have failed at this many times, but you could hardly tell it in our relationship because of her graciousness. I am married to the perfect woman for me. I'm positive of that because if I don't want to talk, a lot of times instead of saying, you know, today it's been very difficult, and I'm struggling to find appropriate words to give an outworking of my emotions, instead I'll just say something like, leave me alone. And in her graciousness, I've been granted a wide berth. What seems to interest me here, though, is it's saying love your wives and don't be harsh. Don't dismiss. Be a listener. D don't be a guy who shrugs things off. Sit with women, and guys are going, have you met my, my, my wife? You know how much words she has to say? Are you telling me to sit and listen? Yes. And, like, actively listen. Rather than just going, uh-huh, 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 yup. Listen to hear, not just to endure. I could go on and on, but the point is don't be harsh in action, attitude, in the way you think, and in your words. Don't be harsh. But do you notice it mirrors how we treat our children? It's not saying don't discipline your children. It's saying find a pathway that brings them to the throne without casting them out of relationship with you. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but maybe some of you grew up like I did, where punishment often crossed the line into abuse, and where it felt like my father never, ever attempted to find out the best way to deal with me. He had one pathway, and he walked it. Believe it or not, you can punch me, beat me, kick me, whip me, and guess where you're getting with me? Nowhere. As a matter of fact, I'll stand up and say, if I can't stand up, is that all you got? But you can chasten me even as a friend and wound me all the way through my heels. My dad never even attempted to discover you could just sit me down and talk to me. So exasperated was I by the time I was even 10 years old that my plan on dealing with my dad was to say as little as possible and avoid him. And I carried that out until I was saved. 
What we're really saying here is in your wifing and in your husbanding and in your fathering, and I think we could even say in your mothering, right? Or in your childing. If you belong to Jesus and Jesus is in you and he wants to show up in you and through you right there in that moment, and he wants you wives to get a taste of heaven through your husbands, he wants you husbands to get a taste of heaven through your wives, he wants your children to get a taste of heaven through you, whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, if we have new life in Christ, Christ wants to show up in us and through our lives. He wants to show out. And he goes to the children and he says, Children, obey your parents. So the question for us husbands, the question for us fathers, the question for us children, are you submitted to God in Christ Jesus? There are some people, there are some people who if God sent them on a mission trip to, to civil war, uh, engorged Syria right now, they'd be like, I'll go, Jesus. But if he told them, to be tender toward their wives, they would start singing the meatloaf song. <laughs> Some of you men, it's like if God told y'all to help around the house, you would be like, I would do anything for love, but I won't do women's work. That we even think of it as women's work reveals something's wrong. You know what's women's work? Having babies. You know why? Because you ain't built for it. You know what is not women's work alone? Doing dishes. You know how I know? You got hands. Oh, Catherine got spiritual over there. <laughs> Andrew, I'll see you at the altar in a few moments. Now, you can feel the weight of this. Let's just, let's just be honest. I'm not going to ask details. Wives, any wives felt like you failed as wives at times at respecting, submitting to your husband? Okay, the rest of you are holding up your hands and your hearts. Okay. <laughs> husbands, any of you guys failed as husbands ever? No. Uh, anybody here that qualifies as a parent or a child, do you ever failed in either one of those roles? <laughs> Amy's like 15 seconds ago. <laughs> so what's the noble vision? Father, put the old me to death, and keep me dying. Bring the full you to my life, and you go on living. It's not to say you've perfected any of this, but do you desire it? Jesus, I would like for Carebos to get more of you through me. And I can't lie, I would like to get more of you through her. I would love for Katie and Rachel to get more of you through me. And I would like to experience more of you through them. See, this is not really an issue of trying to find the edge of appropriate Christian marriage. It's trying to find the center of Christian discipleship. Are we submitted to Jesus? Because if we're submitted to Jesus, we'll take his marching orders, even if they're difficult. Does that make sense to anybody? Now, I see the time is gone, but do you know, would you believe me if I say the same? All of this also applies to being an employee. Here, Paul is dealing with a reality that people could not control. This is a great lesson on what to do in situations we cannot control or personally change. 
How we behave in these situations matters to God. Slavery here is not commended. It's not condoned. It's not condemned. Paul is simply dealing with the times and the place he lives. And he says basically this. Some of you slaves have come to know Jesus. And it should change how you behave under your masters. Some of you masters have come to know Jesus. And it should change how you behave toward the people under you. Could we then say a principle is how you work as an employee and how you supervise as an employer matters to God? Could we say that God wants your work to be for Jesus and he wants Jesus to show up at your work? To be a slovenly, lazy, complaining employee not only likely damages your company's reputation and pro productivity, it more than anything ruins your testimony in the workplace as a Christian. So what does Jesus say about this? He says, hey, whatever you're doing, flipping burgers, being a teacher, being an a, 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 a IT guy, and no one knows what they do. It's a lot of ones and zeros, and they turn it on. You know. If you're, you know, and, and I hate this phrase, if you're, I hate this phrase. If you're just a stay-at-home mom, I hate that phrase. There's no more noble thing on the face of this planet than a stay-at-home mom. But if you're just a stay-at-home mom, if you're a nurse, I mean, basically I don't care if you're a mechanic, if you're newly retired, and you're a professional grandmoming, right? All of these, when they're, when they're honest and good and not illegal, all of these are a calling from God. And Jesus wants to show up in your calling. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a cool vision to think, when we leave here, Karen and I are going to take dinner to somebody. Aren't we, Karen? Okay. So in our ride, Jesus wants to fellowship with himself through us and for each of us to get a benefit from that. And then when we arrive, he wants the person that we're taking dinner to to experience Jesus. No promises, Michaela, but we'll try. And when we leave there, he wants more good fellowship with us, and he wants us to go home and cheerfully engage with our kids, joyfully lead them in life, blessedly show them the Lord Jesus. And if we stop at a store along the way, if even for the briefest moments, he wants Jesus to show up to the clerk, to the person we pass in the aisle, to the person that we fuss at for parking crooked in their spot, like you don't have reverse and came back and get that right. Anyway. And when we sleep, he even wants to visit us in our dreams. And when we wake up, he wants us to go to work and do that job like it's for him and let the people around us reap the benefits. This is heavy, but it's so noble. It's so noble. I won't give you those four things. Maybe I'll make a boring video that you guys can voluntarily ignore. But I have some four great things about being an employee. I'll just leave them all. I don't want you guys, I, well, that's a lie. I was going to say I don't want you guys to feel the heaviness. That's a lie. What can I say? I don't want you to only feel the heaviness. I don't want you to, I do want you to feel the heaviness. I want you to feel a dual heaviness. And if you're singing, you say, Whew, 
I'm single and I don't have a job. He was not talking to me. Psych. Get a job, get married, get over your snarking. <laughs> you know, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, right where you stand, in your singleness, in your unemployment, Jesus wants to show up. Where it might be a clearly stated precept to a husband, it's in the minimum a principle to everybody that's not a husband. Every man's not a husband. Basically, it's like whatever you do, that's whoever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, do it for the Lord. And you say, wait a minute, if I start doing everything for the Lord, there's a couple things he ain't going to let me do. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? You say, I can't do this for the Lord. Exactly. So it's heavy, but it's beautiful. Could you imagine? Uh, any of you guys, uh, public school guys, going to show up at school tomorrow? I mean, you, you, I'm so confused about school these days. I ain't going to lie. Is anybody actually going to be in the building tomorrow at your school? Anybody? Raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. All right? Could you, Hayden, could you imagine... Could you imagine that you walk into your classroom and Jesus could walk in with you and your classmates get a taste of Jesus through you? I, I, I don't call you. I just give me a little signal. Anybody here sort of, you know, you're going through a time you don't really love your job? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, a couple of people got their arms all the way up. <laughs> could you imagine that you're enduring there with Jesus? You show up and give them Jesus. Uh, don't raise your hands this because some of you work with me and I don't need that kind of pressure right now. <laughs> anybody here, anybody here struggling with your workmates? That's you, David. David, you struggling with your workmates? <laughs> he works alone, in case you don't know. <laughs> right? What, what, what if instead of just you showed up to dealt with them, you said, God, I sure would for you to show up with me. This is a game changer. It's heavy, but it's good. So what's that second kind of heaviness? It's worth it. Worship comes from a word. In the, in the, in the Hebrew, it comes from a word meaning weight. It's heavy. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. If you can't tell, I'm very passionate about this passage because what it does, if you'll read in your bulletin, I wrote a little thing on how I love short-term mission trips. This makes all the little episodes of my life the short-term mission trip that I'm always preparing for. When am I ready for this? When I've been in good fellowship with the Lord. Sarah, you shouldn't have told me that before church. It was your own fault. But Sarah said last week's solemn assembly made an impact on her life. She felt refreshed and renewed. And I said, why? And she she named two or three things about focus, but she said it was good for her to go through the confessional time. It was good for her to, to, to say those prayers together, to, to do it, you know, corporately, right? And, you know, and I, I just listened. I think I did. Didn't I do a pretty good job? But I, the phrase that was banging around in my head is how powerful it is to keep short accounts of your sin and to keep close accounts of your mission. She felt empowered because she loosed away from her sin and herself, and she grabbed hold to the Lord, and it changed her attitude for the week. 
So what if right where you stand husbands, right where you stand dads, right where you stand wives, right where you stand single people, right where you stand children, right where you stand parents, right where you stand workers, right where you stand supervisors, employers, right where you stand, you say, I'm getting ready to show the world Jesus. And what it's going to mean is me got to get out of the way. God's plan to get me out of the way is for me to continually die and for Christ to live more and more. And suddenly life is not something we endure. It's more something we enjoy. Because we're saying, I want Jesus to show up in me and through me. I want, I want to walk with him. Maybe, maybe tomorrow, Carson, you say, I do not want to crawl under this muddy house. I know it. Do it for Jesus. Maybe tomorrow one of y'all is going to school and you're already thinking, I, I don't like those people. Do it for Jesus. Do it for Jesus. Forget Monday as just an American Monday and make it a mission trip Monday and do it for Jesus. This is the vision God gives us right here. I got to ask you, though, are you submitted to Christ? That's the real question. You can name every area of my life, and I'd be honest with you, there are many where I'm struggling. But I know it's good. So God, I give you full permission to hold my funeral moment to moment. Kill me off and come to life in me. Maybe you've never given your life to God because you know it's submission. I'll tell you, that held me off for 15 years. Like, if I get saved, I've also got to get busy. I gotta, he's got to be my boss, and I, I don't want, you're not the boss of me. I don't want anybody to be the boss of me. I've never had a better friend. I've never had a more even-killed supervisor. I've never had someone that didn't just have the weak in mind or the product in mind like God does. God has eternity in mind. He's a good Lord. Do you know him today? The Bible says if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll confess, you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. The Bible says if, you'll, if you will believe on that name and receive him, you'll be adopted into the family. And then you'll build a Christian home with Jesus walking with you. Father, thank you for the patience of this congregation. Thank you for the goodness of this word. Thank you that it is filled with dual heaviness. We feel the weight of our brokenness, and we feel the weight of the value of this teaching. And we want to be loosed from sin, self, and Satan, and we want to be set free to serve Jesus right where we stand. God, I pray you loose this congregation. Bring every one of us back to our first love. And if there be any one of us who does not love Jesus first, bring them to yourself. Now, God, as we sing in response, help us to sing heartily with gusto. Speak to us and give us the bold humility to respond. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.